This special Canadian episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Everything's customizable these days. Your trading platform can be too. With Thinkorswim, you can customize screeners, charting, and stock forecasts so the market is always tailored to you. And you can get started at tdameritrade.com/thinkorswim. It's Tuesday, March 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. He made it over the border from the Great White North. With me in studio is Mr. Jim Gillies. It is good to see you. It's good to be seen. Thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. You've got some Canadian stocks. Right before we started, I said, "Give me some stocks. I, I need some Canadian stocks." And you said, "Oh, I've got stocks for you." So we, we'll, we'll we can get, help you out. We'll get to that. But but the um, the recent unpleasantness in the stock market was something that you were. I don't know if if I should say you were blissfully unaware of it, but you were you were out of pocket all of last last week was the worst week for the U.S. stock market since 2008. Yep, and you were on a ski slope. Missed the whole damn thing. <laughs> I was I was skiing in Quebec. And were you completely out of pocket, or were you were you just like once a day you'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Pretty much once a day. Uh, I, it was probably the first vacation I've gone on in 15 years where I haven't taken my laptop. Good for you. Um, I had my phone with me so I could look at the uh, notifications, the very helpful, uh, all uppercase notifications <laughs> sent to me uh, quite frequently by uh, the fine folks at CNBC. Um, and I just kind of looked at my partner and said, "Well, we're poorer than we were <laughs> 20 minutes ago. Why not just let's go hit that hill." <laughs> Let me, so I want to—I don't want to go overly psychological on you, but I am curious. At w- at any point, did you think to yourself? Did you have sort of the gut reaction of like, oh, "I should have brought my laptop. I sh- I would I would be making moves. I would be." Making some trades, either I'd be buying some stuff that's on sale, or I would be finally cutting uh, my losses with um, some things that were even lower than they were a week prior. Or did you just think, no, you know what? I'm glad I don't have the laptop. Um, didn't miss the laptop. Uh, I have a mild regret that I couldn't buy a couple of things uh, that I would have liked to have added to. Um, a couple of things that. Uh, are a lot cheaper than they were about a week ago. Uh, especially, uh, there's a couple names that I happen to think will do better in a recession. So if if the coronavirus, is, which of course is the the catalyst for what touched off last week's uh, yeah, I know. Issue. I, unlike you, I wasn't skiing. I've <laughs> well, actually been in this. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm very well relaxed after last week. Apparently. Um, you know, I have a couple of names that that I actually think will do better in a recession, um, but you know, so I maybe would have liked to have added to them, um, and and just a couple names that of companies I've long admired don't own uh, that I would have liked to have initiated a position. Uh, but you know, be, uh, actually, you know, peeling back the kimono perhaps for too much for some people, um, you know. At the fool here, we have to pre-clear any transaction we want to do. We have uh, fool trading restrictions and what have you, and so uh, I, I had no access to our compliance system because I didn't have my laptop with me. So I was like, "Well, I'm doing nothing this week. I'm just 
I can look at the market or I can go skiing. So, but you know, I would have liked to have added a couple. Um, having come down here now uh, today, I'm here today and tomorrow. Uh, I might, I'll probably wait until I get home before I do anything and hope the market doesn't, uh, you know, rocket up four thousand points by uh, Wednesday morning. So, what? Um, what was the reaction of your partner? Oh, she doesn't care. Okay. Yeah. No. I, she. You know what? I mean, you you've met uh, partners and they've been, you, you've met Luann. You've met Lulu. Yes. Um, you know, and and she is, uh, you know, she is absolutely rock solid in terms of like she she uh, has I think probably since you know she turned about twenty five. Um, probably like every paycheck, you know, X percent of the paycheck goes into an account, and she did it all the way up through up to into 2007, 2008. Never batted an eye. Went through that, kept going. Uh, I met her in 2012, and uh, you know, her biggest regret. I, I'm going to speak for her, and she can you know set me straight when I get home, I suppose. Uh, but probably her biggest regret is that you know she she was trapped if you will with a with a not great financial advisor who put her in a bunch of garbage mutual funds so when she met me uh, and I said, "Well, you know, these are boy. You've got a bunch of garbage mutual funds here. Um, you know, there there is a better way. There's a better way to invest, regardless of your risk, uh, your risk tolerances, what have you. And and let me talk to you about passive investing and and you know ETFs and supplementing that with you know some good high quality companies, depending on what your risk tolerance is. And you know, and she's like, I wish I'd known about this ten years ago because when she did transition from what she you know what she was doing with that." Crappy, uh, crappy uh, mutual fund hawking financial advisor air quotes uh, to to largely doing it herself, and now she just you know I think every three or four months she goes in and adds to her ETFs and that's it, uh, and that's all she wants and that's fine. But she says I wish I'd known that in two thousand and three, two thousand and four when I started this because in two thousand and twelve when she met me, twenty thirteen we when we first started talking about money, um, she's like I think I might have as much as I've contributed. Over the past decade plus, and I'm like, well, you should really have more. If the investing is to have more, you're deferring today, so you'll have more tomorrow. You should have more. Um, but I did actually, um, you know, as she was transitioning over to this new foolish way of investing, if you will, uh, because I truly believe that index funds are foolish for for a lot of people. You know, in, in terms of capital F, yeah, capital F foolish. You know, where you know you're fans. We're very much fans in the supplementing. Um, you know, uh, during that p- period of time, I I I, attend, I I sometimes occasionally enjoy a little sparring with people in the industry, and so I got to ha- write a couple of very uh, direct notes to her financial advisor about why they wanted to free up her money yesterday and perhaps rethink their choices in life. So I enjoyed that. I bet you did. I Good did. For you. I really did. I also like that you met her in 2012, but it wasn't until a while later that you launched into the financial stuff because I'd hate to think that it's like the first date with her and you're like, "So, <laughs> well, tell me about your investing life." Well, you know, uh, again, Kimono's way too open at this point. Uh, sh- Can you stop saying that? I, I know it's a Bill Manism, I think. Um, she is uh, she's a chartered accountant with a master's degree in accounting. In accounting, I'm a finance nerd, so I mean, like, look, that's kind of you know, you yeah. And, and we've had serious discussions about you know the proper ways to to record and recognize deferred tax liabilities, right? So I mean, like, just you know, 
That's Friday night at the Gillies house, right? <laughs> Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Zach Gaines at the University of North Georgia. Go Nighthawks. Uh, Zach <laughs> writes, I'm a huge fan of all the Motley Fool podcasts. I've heard you talk about Etsy and Pinterest. I know you should keep your eyes open for investment ideas, so I wanted to pass on a story. While sitting in my strategic management class today, I got distracted by the people using computers next to me. The girl on the left spent the entire class browsing makeup ideas on Pinterest. The guy on the right spent the whole class looking up watches and belts on Etsy. I've been considering both for my investment, and my uh, experience today has only increased my conviction. Just wanted to pass on the boots on the ground research. Thank you, Zach. I love that email for a lot of reasons. I love that Zach's doing a little boots on the ground research and passing it along. And I like that uh, he's basically saying, hey, of the three of us, I was actually paying attention in strategic management class. Um, It's the others who were. Without naming them, you know, because he doesn't want to get anyone in trouble. Um, you're an Etsy shareholder. You got to be pleased by this. I, I also used to teach university, but I taught largely before the days of the iPhone, and thank goodness I did because you know it was hard enough getting people to pay attention anyway. I can't imagine what the the profs today do. But yeah, no, I, I own Etsy. Uh, Etsy's a uh, a story that we like in and in uh, in Fool Canada and Stock Advisor Canada. Uh, it was brought forward to us by one of the investing team. We inherently liked the idea because of the idea that you can. Etsy basically brings every kind of farmers market, someone making something unique and cool, maybe a little bit quirky. Uh, it brings every market. To your front door, kind of thing, and so for example, the the aforementioned partner of mine at home recently bought a ninety dollar specialized dog collar off of uh, Etsy for our for our newest family member. Um, it's a dog, by the way, just in case you're wondering. That's what I said. Um, you know, the, the hamster has a color, uh, but no, I mean it's it's. She found something really unique that spoke to her, and she went and ordered it, and I kind of just rolled my eyes. Um, you know, and, and we like the idea that you know that 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 they have that um, uh, that distribution. You can pretty much have anything you want on your on your front door. Uh, we like that they are investing in the business a lot. Uh, the new CEO came on, well, not so new anymore, two and a half years ago. I'm going to say uh, he really changed up um, the cash flow dynamics of the company, which we really like because we're uh, at least you know I'm a, I'm a cash flow investor, cash flow valuation guy. Um, you know, they made an acquisition in the music space called Reverb about a year ago. Less enthused about that, but you know, it's not the worst acquisition I've I ever seen. I remember when they made that though, and it seemed like uh, they didn't pay a ton of. Like it, it struck me at the time as a slightly odd use of capital, but it also didn't strike me as wow, they paid a ton of money for that niche musical instrument site. Yeah, I think I think. Um if memory serves, and it might not, um, if memory serves, I think they paid about six or seven times sales, and Etsy at the time itself was trading at about seven or eight times sales. So you know, it's not that out of a line with where they were. Um, but you know, Etsy promptly fell, you know, from a, you know high fifties, sixty ish, to about forty, and and you know, and 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 it was brought to, Etsy was brought to our attention in in uh, Fool Canada at a just shy of sixty. And you know, we said we really like the story. We don't like the price. We don't like the valuation. And then uh, they had an earnings report that was uh, poorly received. 
and um, the stock fell, and then it drifted down, as these things tend to do, and it um, it ended up going to high 40 or sorry low 40s and that's where we got it and and so we're we're quite happy with that so today it's i think it's back up close to 60ish uh, maybe 58 59 um, and and we're really happy with the price we paid and and uh, yeah as you mentioned i i am a shareholder and uh, i would happily buy more if we uh, if we uh, got that lower price and in the meantime i i've also i'm a, yeah, you know, I'm also play options games, so I have some uh, written some puts against it. A scale of one to ten, how confident are you that Etsy, which has a market cap of just under seven billion dollars, how confident are you that it will be a standalone company in five years? Because it seems like it's still small enough that a couple years from now, if they're really continuing to deliver, that someone's just going to go in and buy them. Can I predict who's going to buy them? Absolutely. So that sounds like you're you're not even remotely confident that they'll be a standalone company in five years. Uh, I I don't think they're going to be a public company within five years. Who's going to um, buy them? So so eBay makes a lot of cash and has no growth, and eBay is selling off StubHub for four billion dollars. Did I mention they have no growth? Well, actually, StubHub has a bit of growth, but did I mention they're selling StubHub off? Uh, eBay's classifieds groups, so Kijiji and all the different car sites, uh, they are getting pressured from uh, a couple of activists, uh, Starboard and Elliot, to sell off classifieds. That's going to be another ten billion dollars, uh, you know, and that's another growth avenue that they have. Did I mention they don't have any growth? I, I'm an eBay shareholder. I'm keenly aware of the fact that they have no growth. <laughs> eBay, the the world's worst capital allocation company. Um, I have options positions on eBay as well, so you know I share your pain. Um, but eBay, uh, eBay and Etsy, just you know, boy, that's. I mean, eBay, eBay marketplace. I mean, they are exceedingly cheap. And uh, they do make a lot of cash, and heretofore they've been running that cash and just buying back their own stock. I think they bought back about thirty-five percent of their own stock in the past three or four years. Um, you know, they get ten billion dollars from classifieds. Turn around, and go buy Etsy. Quick shout out to TD Ameritrade, which is sponsoring this episode. Do you wish you had a second opinion before placing a trade with a strategy gut check? From TD Ameritrade's Trade Desk, you'll get a second set of eyes on your trade idea to help you make decisions with more confidence. Their team of experts are available to help you weigh the risks and potential rewards so you understand the ins and outs of your trade. To learn more about how they can help, contact the Trade Desk at tdameritrade.com slash trade desk, TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. All right, before we wrap up and before you head north, Three, give me three Canadian stocks. Three, you know, to to the email that Zach sent. You know, we we talk about things like Etsy and Pinterest, and um, but there there are uh, there's an entire universe of stocks that you are intimately familiar with that I am not. Probably, <laughs> not probably, definitely. This is your everyday job. So this is this is. I'm not saying I'm going to run out and buy these three stocks, but I'm just looking to expand my horizons and that of the dozens of listeners who may not be focused on good business opportunities north of the border. So, do you want them on both sides of the border? So, in other words, they trade on both the Canadian exchange. They are Canadian company trading the Canadian exchange, as well as having a U.S. listing. Or do you want Canada only? Um, you know, the the dual listing would be convenient. Dual listing works. Okay. So let's uh, we'll go in uh, we'll go in order of declining size. 
Okay. okay. So the first company is one that probably everyone's already heard of, and just we had it first, is, um, and it's not Shopify, uh, is Brookfield Asset Management. So uh, there's a company in Canada called Fairfax Financial, run by a guy named Prem Watsa, that gets a lot of attention as being Canada's Berkshire Hathaway and Canada's Warren Buffett. It's all complete nonsense. Canada's Berkshire Hathaway is actually Brookfield, and it's run by a guy named J. Bruce Flatt, who is Canada's Warren Buffett. Uh, Brookfield is investing in a host of real assets, so ports, toll roads, um, you know, buildings, any, anything infrastructure-wise. And, and as well, they also have several um, a publicly traded kind of offshoots where they still own the majority or they own a large stake. I think one of them is about 30%, but they generally be 50%, 60%. Uh, so the uh, Brookfield uh, Infrastructure Partners, uh, Brookfield Property Partners, uh, there's two or three more I'm not thinking of. Um, they had some insurance operations which they spun off, just a tiny little piece, but they all still own like 20% of the silly thing. Uh, so they, it's a very complicated, uh, complex um, uh, structure. But you know, if you kind of dial it back, you look at uh, Brookfield. They they have I think Flats looking at uh, Bruce Flat is looking at doubling their free cash flow over the next four or five years, and they're already trading at a reasonable valuation. If they double their free cash flow in five years, I think it might be four, but let's you know that was the forecast. But let's say five. Um, they double it. In, they're going to go from a reasonable valuation to a. Either the stock price goes up, or or this is a fantastic valuation. Um, you know, Brookfield, uh, it's, it's BAM dot A on the Toronto Stock Exchange, or just BAM, I believe, on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, as long as interest rates are low and people are looking for return, these guys are your place for real assets. They're going to preserve value at fairly unique assets um, through whatever we're doing in terms of the economy here. So that's kind of the largest one of these uh, of this uh, triumvirate I'm going to introduce you to. Although I'm pretty sure you've heard of at least a Brookfield. Um, the second one I would talk about. I'm kind of doing this on the fly as I look here. The one I would talk about is um, Restaurant Brands International, which is that one we've talked about. We have, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, and and so Restaurant Brands is the parent company. It's a franchisor. So they have they essentially they franchise out their restaurants. And they have three concepts: Burger King, which inexplicably has close to nineteen thousand outlets worldwide; um, Tim Hortons, Canada's favorite garbage coffee brand. Um, I'm, I'm mad at Tim Hortons again right now because they can't get their app right. And I, I said to the guy this morning as I was driving to the airport at four thirty in the morning, "You're really wanting me to go back to Starbucks, aren't you?" Um, and then uh, the third brand is is Popeyes Louisiana Kitchen, and which put up the most ridiculous same store sales. I was just about to go there. Their most recent quarter, they somehow did thirty four percent same store sales on the strength of a viral marketed chicken sandwich. I mean, which is apparently good. pretty tasty. Uh, my son had one, and he's like, "Yeah, it was real good." <laughs> okay, dude. Um, yeah, no, I I uh, I really like. Um, I really like franchise businesses uh, where essentially you're taking on no operational risk. You're not spending a lot of capital, but 
these thousands of restaurants. I, I think there's somewhere about 28,000 total stores between, well, Burger King's got somewhere about 18,005. Tim Hortons is shy of 5,000 worldwide. Uh, and I think Popeyes is about 3,500. I think that's right. Ballpark. Um, you know, all of these guys are sending you. Six percent of their sales every month, plus their, you know, off the top line, plus their contributing to advertising funds, and you know, I mean, and and what it ends up being for the franchisor is you're swimming in cash and don't have a lot to do with it. So it, it it's paying a real nice dividend now. I think that probably and after the recent unpleasantness, I noticed that it's down about ten dollars a share over the last week. Um, you know. Canadians are going to Tim Hortons. They're going to Tim Hortons today as much as they were last week. Um, you know, there's a lot of cash there, and it is uh, you're paying out as dividends, and uh, they're doing some deleveraging. And I, I suspect they're probably going to make an acquisition. I, I, they've bought back some shares, not a lot. They don't really have a lot, and and they don't seem terribly eager to reduce their leverage, um, like. As their cash has grown, their leverage has been paid down a little bit, but they, they seem comfortable operating at a certain level. I would expect them to probably um, go after another acquisition to supplement their three strong existing brands, rather than um, uh, rather than you know paying out a you know we're going to buy back twenty percent of our stock or whatever. So, but it, and it's trading at a reasonable valuation, relatively speaking. What's last? So. I like my stock picks occasionally to be a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> From a business standpoint? Well, you know. We had insurance, we had the state insurance company, yeah. insurance and infrastructure. We've got the franchise restaurant. This is going to be an insane business, isn't it? So, I'm going to introduce you to a company called CRH Medical. They are CRH in the Toronto Stock Exchange or CRHM if you're a US investor. So, CRH Medical is in, they have two lines of business. Their long standing uh, but smaller line of business is hemorrhoid treatment. But about five years ago, they said, we're going to diversify this business. We are going to go into the uh, high octane business of anesthesia clinics for colonoscopies. Okay. <laughs> so, so I, I've hooked you right now. I mean, like you know, where where can you get investing advice on you know colonoscopy, anesthesia, and hemorrhoid treatment? Right. If you liked intuitive surgical, <laughs> well, stay tuned because we've got yeah, maybe not exactly the same, but in the roughly the same ballpark of medical procedures. Yes. Look. Okay. It's inherently we all because because it's kind of uncomfortable. We inherently laugh at it. Colon cancer kills. Colon cancer is also one of the easiest to treat, like ninety plus percent survival rate if you catch it early. Now I have a friend who last year they caught it early. Okay, and I've been skiing with him since. Like and and you know he's he, he's fine. Colonoscopy. I think right now, I think we're we're at about two thirds screening on both sides of the border. Okay, I think they recommend over everyone over fifty, you know, gets it every five years, just because you know we want to we want to catch it early because it's it's far better to catch it early and treat it early than it is to go to the expense of having you under the tender ministrations of the healthcare system on either side of the border, where maybe your outcome isn't as good. 
Uh, and so I know that in the U.S. they have they have a goal of hitting 80 percent of the population within five years of of the target population having colonoscopy, having proper screening. So so here is CRH. They're in Canada, Vancouver to be precise, but 100 percent of their business is in the U.S. They've been buying up. They're doing a roll up strategy, buying up these anesthesia clinics, where you, know, you get the, there. There's a natural growth in procedures, and you kind of want to do it under anesthetic. I'm, you know, yeah. not to be, you know, too obvious about it, but I'd kind of prefer to be knocked out, frankly. And so, great, we're going to do this. So there's about an organic growth rate of about one to three percent in procedure growth in their, in what they already uh, the the number of clinics they already ha- own and operate. They are buying up to the tune of about thirty thirty five million dollars a year additional clinics. Okay, so and those are, of course going to be growing at one to three percent. They've got good capital provided by uh, debt capital as plus they are cash flow positive. They're they're doing really well in terms of the you know they think they're getting about three hundred and fifteen dollars uh, ballpark per procedure. So you're running the number of cases, and if you actually you know take the number of cases they're running, multiply by the cash flow that they're generating, multiply by how much they. You can kind of quickly find out that not only is this company not trading at any kind of uh, rich multiple, but you know they're they're gonna they could probably justify the entire company just in terms of the uh, the cash flow they generate over the next three or four years. Forget about actually you know running this growth business. And so I think what you and and, and the other thing is too is that the CEO has an interesting contract here. Um, he gets a really nice payday. Uh, I should say the stock right now is trading about three forty U.S. He gets a three dollars forty cents. Yes, he gets a really nice payday if he sells this company for seven dollars U.S. plus. He gets an even nicer payday if he sells it, I think, for over ten dollars or something like that. Um, but you know, so I think he's probably incented. To you know, to quote Munger or Buffett, right? You know, follow the incentives. I think he's incented to keep growing this business, managing it, get it up uh, above that level, and then find a strategic buyer who wants to to get bigger, and then he rides off into the sunset with a nice payday. Jim Gillies, we don't do this enough. We don't. We get, get back up. I, I will. I will try to get back down sometime in the next year. <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in the Motley Fool. May have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.